500 subscribers in 3K, 3,000 hours of watch time, you'll be able to enter the partner program. Welcome to the Business of Creators podcast. If you're a content creator or you want to know more about the creator economy, then this podcast is definitely for you. Now, in this episode, I'm speaking with Rene Ritchie, the creator liaison at YouTube. Rene's role is to serve within YouTube as an advocate for creators and work with creators to help them understand YouTube. In this episode, we discuss the latest announcement from YouTube lowering the requirements for creators to get access to new monetization tools, the latest insights from YouTube on how to think about shorts, and Rene's recommendations for creators, having now spent a year on the inside at YouTube. We cover a lot of ground. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about Electrify Video Partners, a business I co-founded that invests millions of dollars into YouTube channels such as Veritasium. If you want a business partner to grow your YouTube channel, or you're wondering how much your channel could be worth, check us out at electrify.video and get in contact. Right, let's get on with the show. So today I'm joined on the podcast by Rene Ritchie, creator liaison at YouTube. Welcome to the podcast, Rene. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Excellent. So can we just kick off and can you explain to everybody what is creator liaison? So it's this remarkable idea that Google had. It originated with Sundar Pichai thinking that search needed a human face. And so they got uh, Danny Sullivan to be the search liaison. And they thought that's such a good idea. We should do that for creators as well. I think sometimes people just look at large companies and think there's just so many support agents and all these things. It's nice to have a human being that you can relate to. And so I work like half my time is spent inside YouTube advocating for creators. I mean, everybody inside YouTube advocates for creators, but they also all have full-time jobs. And I have the luxury of my, my full-time job being advocating for creators and just giving tons of feedback on policy and products from the point of view of multitudes of different types of creators, because by no means, well, you know this better than most, by no means are creators like a Unimind or like, uh, it's, and then the other half of my time I spend in social and on videos, just explaining how YouTube works to creators so they can have a better experience, you know, less stress and more success on the platform. Excellent. I've got so many questions to ask you today, but what's your background? How did you get a role like this? So I started off in marketing in the early early days of like websites and, and the internet, and I ended up doing big data analytics for a while, a lot of product marketing, but I loved marketing, but like enterprise wasn't very interesting. So when the iPhone and Android was announced, I went into tech media and I worked for like 12 years in tech media, ended up uh, being uh, editorial director for a network of, of websites all based around smartphones and computers and things like that. Uh, then in 2020, uh, when the pandemic hit, I just went full time into YouTube because it is such an amazing way to have a career. I don't know. I don't know anybody who could just like say, I want to make video. I want to do anything. And then within a year, I was making more money than I'd ever made before. Within two years, I was making twice as much money, like doing something that I loved just in my living room, the way some people made sourdough bread for those two years. I just made videos. Uh, and a friend of mine was working at YouTube and Matt Koval, the previous creator liaison, uh, resigned to go on to do other things. And they're like, you should really apply. And I wasn't sure I understood it, but it was it felt like one of those roles where you have this once in a lifetime opportunity to help people at scale. And just the idea of knowing that almost every day I get to finish my day helping creators, like especially marginalized creators, um, just with their voice and with their monetization and things like that, it is the absolute like privilege of a lifetime. Yeah, what a fantastic role to have. Um, so let's jump into some questions. And I'd love to jump straight in at the deep end and ask sort of a question around how you see it now between YouTube managing um, the balance between the company's goals and creator needs. 
I think YouTube, and one of the things that I love about YouTube is that from a very early start, like YouTube, I think began in 2005 and by 2007, they were looking at the partner program and they had this very clear idea that creators were the heart of YouTube. I think, you know, sometimes you can look at user generated content and say, well, they're just like our, our robots generating all this stuff for us. And they're just going to keep doing it no matter what. So we don't have to really care or think about them. But YouTube came to that realization really early on that in order for YouTube to succeed, creators have to succeed and vice versa, that we were in this together and we would succeed better together. And that was sort of the genesis, the impetus for the original partner program. And I think that is very much true today, up to and including last year when we announced the shorts uh, revenue sharing model and partner program, explicitly to show that we, we truly believe this through all of our different products and everything that we do. It is that sort of partnership. So as much as possible, our goals are aligned to uh, serve the viewers, make sure they get the most engaging, most satisfying content possible, uh, that advertisers have the best videos, the best product, the best inventory, you know, to, to showcase their products and services to the world. Uh, and that creates this, yes, it is a balance. Yes, everybody has expectations, but it creates this incredible, I think, unique uh, value to everybody involved. And that's what made me so excited about YouTube, going back to the I posted my first video in 2008, so going all the way back to almost the beginning. Yeah, I saw that. It was around um, an Android phone. Is it the first Android phone? Was that right? The first Android phone. That was my first video as a review of the first Android phone. I love it. And um, now you're on the inside, can you explain a little bit about how YouTube collaborates with content creators to develop new features and test new features before, before rolling them out? Yeah, I think, first of all, it is that culture at YouTube that creators are the North Star. So everybody that I've met, and that was... I don't want to say it was a surprise because it, it but everybody I met was just so involved with creators. Like the, any product or policy came up, there were different groups of people saying, well, what about these creators? What about these creators? What about these creators? And everyone follows like they're the creators that they love best. They watch their videos. We'll get like a report from an engineer or somebody who's like not creator facing going, Hey, I saw on their video that this was happening to them or I saw on social that this was happening to them. And it's just like an entire cultural thing that they're always considered. And then we have various, like we have Team YouTube on Twitter, which gets to see like real-time interactions. And we have creator support in studio. And we have the YouTube creators team on YouTube that gets to see like in real time how people are reacting and what sentiment is and factor all that in. And then I've just grown up uh, in my career with YouTubers. Like I met iJustine in 2008. I met Marquez Brownlee in 2013. And I, I've just, I've gone to all this like VidCon and things. So they just send me stuff and say, hey, how about this? And then I can filter all of those things and help get them to the right teams. And it creates this almost like you have no one person can encapsulate the entire creator economy, but we have so many people so deeply invested that I think we do a really good job of capturing the spirit. Yeah, no, I mean, I would absolutely agree. A massive advocate for, for YouTube. Um, so can you give us an, a bit of a flavor for some of the things that are in the pipeline and being developed at the moment or soon to be released? So some of the things, like one of the things that we've talked about that I'm particularly excited about um, and it, I don't know what the timeline is for this yet, but we've been talking for a while now about A-B testing for thumbnails. It's one of those things that creators really like. Like, it's hard to determine, like, do I put my face in a thumbnail? Do I put the product in the thumbnail? Do I put, like, something else that's captivating? Do I try to tell a story? And you have to sort of try it out and then swap it out manually or use a third-party service that does it uh, time in, time out. And also, I think, like, it's easy to see stats. A lot of creators look at analytics and see, oh, my click-through rate is really high. So therefore it's better, but then sometimes they index on click-through rates so much that the video no longer delivers on the promise of that thumbnail and people stop watching it and then, oh, the video did poorly. 
And if we could help with sort of those things of let people explore and iterate on their ideas and get real data back on how their specific audience handles it, I think that's going to be something powerful um, that we're working on. Got it. Yeah, I mean, as a business working with YouTube channels, we spend a lot of time looking at thumbnails and testing thumbnails, but obviously not A-B testing, rather just replacing them and, and monitoring, monitoring yeah. that click-through rate. And what about community and fans? Is, are there th things there in the pipeline as well? Yeah, so we announced last year, made on YouTube, that we're going to be adding a new tier to monetization for creators who are new and emerging so they can get in on uh, earning money on YouTube earlier, frankly, because we all know like making videos in itself is tremendously hard. And if you can start earning money, especially if there's people who support you, and there's all sorts of incredible niches on YouTube that have these passionate communities. So we're going to be uh, starting soon, 500 subs. If you get to 500 subscribers, um, and I forget the exact number of watch time, oh, 500 subscribers in 3K, 3,000 hours of watch time, you'll be able to enter the partner program and you'll be able to do fan funding, which includes memberships for your channels, uh, super thanks on, on like long form videos and live replays, super chat, super stickers on, on live. Uh, and you'll be able to earn, earn an income from your community. And in some cases, especially on the content, like people who live stream or people who have big community investments, that's a really solid start for them. That's excellent. I mean, I love it. So basically um, allowing smaller creators to monetize their content sooner. What a great, what a great initiative. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gives them the start uh, to help them grow and help them get to that next level faster. Definitely. And um, you mentioned shorts. I'd love to get your thoughts on shorts as somebody kind of as a creator and on the inside. Um, are you able to share any of the um, data that you're seeing, particularly linking long form content and short form content? Because as again, as YouTube channel owners, we're looking at that and experimenting with shorts and we see perhaps the, the upside in subscribers, but not sure how it's linking to the long form viewers further down the line. Yeah, so I think like there's a big question that you have to ask in the beginning, and that is, is for my channel, it's going to vary depending on channels because everyone has different uh, goals and different aspirations. But for my channel, is shorts an audience that I want to engage with regardless of long form? And there's a lot of appeal there because shorts is an incredibly, like it, it, uh, people are engaging with shorts to a huge extent. That's why everybody's doing them. Viewers love short form content. Uh, and it is sometimes a very different audience. Like there are people who only watch short form content. And if you don't make any shorts, you're just invisible to them. They'll never know about you. Uh, so just from like a branding, marketing, awareness standpoint, there's a lot of value. I mean, we have 50 billion daily shorts viewers. That is an incredible number and it's still growing. So, and there's also some people who only watch certain types of videos as shorts. Like for example, someone might watch a dancing short, but they wouldn't sit through like a 12 minute dancing long form video. So like if you're a, a long form dancing creator, maybe it's really worth it to you to engage with that audience as well. Then you have people who do watch both. And then you can think like, well, if I expose them to my to shorts, they'll follow along to my long form content. And then, of course, there's people who only watch long form. You know, they think there's a whole gamut of those people. So you can decide, like, do I want to engage with shorts for its own thing? Is it going to be a billboard for my long form? Is it going to be an opportunity for me to put myself my products? Because like YouTube is a fully functional, like a lot of YouTubers, as you know, are entrepreneurs, they're business people. Like we have products, we have services, we have all of these things. And I want to get those in front of people who are watching shorts. So I think absolutely we are building bridges that connect back between short form and long form. So if somebody engages with your short form content and they also happen to watch long form content, there's a better chance we'll recommend your long form content. 
again, some people only watch a certain kind in shorts. So we want to be sensitive. We don't ever give anybody a video they don't want. But if we think that, oh, they're good, they love these shorts, they like these kinds of videos, they like this creator, let's get that creator in front of them, that's to everybody's benefit. I just want to make sure that creators are always thinking about not just how can shorts serve my lungs, but how can this be another like leg in the table of my business that I'm building? Yeah, that's a great explanation there. Thank you. And in terms of the way sort of the first few months are panning out from a monetization perspective, um, from a YouTube perspective, is it kind of going to plan? I certainly, I speak to content creators and I see sort of the early stages of the monetization, which I think is kind of broadly what was expected, i.e. very low RPMs at the moment. But is it panning out that way for YouTube as well from the inside? I think like whenever we do this, the most important part is to keep, is to renew that historic promise of partnership that we are succeeding together. And I think that was like the impetus for having the, the partner program extend to shorts to begin with. It's so that we all believe shorts are gonna grow. Like YouTube is obviously undeniably bullish on shorts. And we wanted to get in there at the beginning to say, yes, like this is still a growing product. I think everybody has like huge aspirations, huge optimism around shorts. And we want creators to be part of that from the beginning. So I, I think, yeah, it is still early days. Like it took a little while for the long form partner program to really find its legs for advertisers to understand it, for creators to figure out the, like the, the kinds of content they wanted to make to take best advantage of it. And we're still in those very early days now. Um, but yeah, I think when you look at shorts, the same way long form has uh, ad revenue sharing and fan funding and like brand deal, like there's a whole range of products around these things. I think as you see now, like with our fan funding coming to shorts, and with shopping coming to shorts, there's going to be the same full range of offerings and creators are in on the ground floor of all of that. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how it plays out. And um, some, more fun some, some more functionality uh, announced recently was the multi-language tracks. And we've often looked at um, channels in different languages being an opportunity to scale businesses. How should um, creators think about a channel in one language versus multi-language tracks? Yeah, so like there's certain key principles that we look at at YouTube. And one of those is that we always want it to be the most rewarding place for creators. And that includes things like monetization and multi-format and multi-language. And I'm like, I always think like stats are like a slice of time, but like YouTube ranks number one is the best platform for making money according to Radius in the UK. And I think the reason for that is we want to give people these options. Like we want to give you the short form, the, the long form option. We can talk about podcasts in a minute too, but multi-language is we saw a bunch of creators who are making multi-language channels. I think Mr. Beast, Jimmy had like 12 of them or 20 of them at some point. And it becomes a lot of overhead and a lot of work. And if it's the same video, like it's not, if you're, if you're making different videos for different markets, that's one thing. But if you're making one video and then putting it on many channels, we wanted to see if we could do something that would make that like just an easier lift for creators. Uh, and also, like, if you're doing a video in one language, maybe you're reaching 5, 10, 15% of the world. If you're doing it in several of the largest languages, maybe you're reaching 50, 60, 70% of the world. And just the uplift that creators see when they're making multi-language videos. And if we can make it as easy as uploading, like, of course, you have to go and have the dubs made. And some people will use AI dubs. And some people will just have, like, you know, friends dub it for them. Some people will go and get, like, the cartoon character, like, the voice actor did Naruto do their Japanese voice, like you're going to have the whole scale that you have at YouTube. That to us just will let them focus on their channel and reach bigger audiences, more views, uh, more potential. 
Yeah, makes absolute sense. And you mentioned the word AI there. Um, how do yeah. you sort of think about, um, or how do YouTube think about AI and and perhaps its impact on content creation? Because I think there's lots of examples where it's um, it's a great tool for script writing, um, but then there's also the challenges of almost like an abundance of content just being flooded into the platform. So can you share a little bit about how YouTube are thinking about it and and from a content creator perspective, um, the impact of that? Yeah, I think we see that generationally, you know, like there was when when the internet came up, people are like, oh, books are like so selective. Now anybody can just publish something. And then when mobile came out, it's like, oh, computers are like this, this, this serious thing and phones are just for kids having fun. But we've seen at the same time, these are tools. And there will always be incredible potential in tools. I think some people are going to worry again, like if the like AI is going to take over the world. But I think AI is going to be a tool. I used to airbrush when I was younger, uh, like Games Workshop miniature figures and things. Yeah. Like, and now you can build those in 3D on your phone and put them into your videos. And the the artistry required, like the dream, the vision, the creativity, all of that, the inspiration is so very human. But the AI can give us much more powerful tools. And we've talked about, I think in Neil's letter, he talked about using generative AI to fix a bad hair day or maybe have a blue hair day or swap out an outfit or generate a background for you. You know, you're filming in your dorm room, but suddenly it looks like you're filming in a warehouse or a studio or the jungle or wherever you want. And it's just, it'll let creators, uh, just to back up for a second, like I think YouTube solved for distribution. Like anybody in the world can sit down and make a video and get it in front of the world. And generative AI and large language models are gonna solve for the production. Anybody in the world will be able to take that 80% of like the grunt work, like the iterations, the mock-ups, the prototypes, the building of sets, the things that just take a lot of time, no matter how good your idea is. And that will help you move those ideas forward faster. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I love that analogy of the books as well and the self-publishing. I hadn't thought of that. It's a really interesting viewpoint. And um, I guess there's so many opportunities for creators and new formats and new ways to monetize. Um, but that also means increasing pressure just to constantly produce. How do YouTube think about creator burnout um, and the mental health of creators? Yeah, I think there's a really fine line there. Well, maybe not. Maybe like we focus on the fine line. But I think like at one side, you have people who almost infantilize creators, that we're super fragile and we're artists and like, uh, on the other side, you have people who are like, well, if you had a restaurant at the mall, you'd have to like serve food every day, if you want to take a vacation, you have to get somebody to So And I think there's like a really beautiful part in between where creators are entrepreneurs and creators are artists. And we should always put ourselves first, like our content is only going to be as good as our mental health. And I think at YouTube, we want to give people options. So for example, if you like, like some people just like to have really solid control over their channel, over their videos, over their messaging. And so we give them tools so they can, for example, record a few extra videos, like maybe record one or two extra videos a week and schedule them so they can take a month off and just not have to worry that their channel is not going to have videos, like schedule um, community posts, like to make it seem like they're still busy, even when they're off at the beach. That's like the beautiful dream of like content creation. But then for other people, they just want time off. And we want to make sure that uh, YouTube is just a, like a vibrant place so that when they come back, their audience can re-engage with them. Like the Game of Thrones premiere, you know, coming back on. They took six months, nine months, feels like three years off sometimes. And they make it such an event. And we have creators like that. Corey Kenshin takes six months off and then comes back and is number one on trending. Um, and like he builds up to it and he has like awesome content. And I think it's, you have to figure out what's really like nobody can tell you 
what's good for you. YouTube certainly can't, but we can give you all the tools that you need to find that best balance for you. Great. Thanks for explaining that. And um, how about diversity? How does YouTube think about sort of supporting different creators from various backgrounds and different perspectives? Can you give any, shed any more light on, on the thought process internally? Yeah, absolutely. And that is like another one of those North Stars for us. I think the key principle of YouTube is that every, like we want to give everybody a voice and let the world see, like, see all of those voices. Uh, and I think that's, we have like a lot of programs inside YouTube and I think throughout Google as well, just to make sure that we're being as inclusive, that we're being as diverse, that we're building products from the start with these principles in mind. Like I think it's very hard to come in and retroactively try to like, sorry, retrofit all of that in at the end. But it's one of those guiding principles where we have those teams and we think about inclusion and we think about as we're building the tools, how they'll be how they'll be used, how they might be misused by people who might be like targeting marginalized creators. Like we want to make sure that we give everybody the best platform and best experience possible. And that includes like not just hoping for the best, but actively having people looking at it and working on it every day. That's really great to hear. Really great. And um before we wrap up, I'd love to understand, um, now you're sort of a creator on the inside at YouTube. You've been there, I think, is it almost a year now? Um, almost, yeah. In terms of kind of like recommendations for emerging creators listening or just things that you've picked up in the last year, um, do you have anything to share with the, the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, if you're starting a channel on YouTube, uh, think of it like, you have this, this blank canvas in front of you and that can feel intimidating at times, but you also have these passions inside you. And everybody probably has two or three things that they're really passionate about. And just think like, I'm gonna, if I start this channel now and it's successful, I might be making videos for like a couple of years, a few years, several years, many years in some cases. Uh, and like um, th that might be dozens, hundreds, thousands of videos. What do I love enough or what area is big enough that I'm gonna feel like, comfortable, enjoyable exploring those for a while. And yes, you can start other channels later and you can pivot, but just what, what's going to like nurture me enough, my creativity enough to keep going and then try those, make a few videos on each of those topics, see which ones resonate with the audience. And then if you want to grow, like if you want to just be an artist, make anything you want, anytime you want, don't even think about it, just enjoy. But if you want to grow and you want to make it into a business, uh, focus on those things, you know, and some people think, oh, it's, it's a constraint, but this is true. Like, uh, I always use this example, like Brian Cranston can be in Malcolm in the Middle and he can be in Breaking Bad, but they're different shows. Otherwise it would really confuse the audience and you can have different channels, but like try to make sure if somebody watches your video, they'll have another video from you to watch and to enjoy. And that's how you start building audiences. You give them enough material to start binging off of. And don't be afraid. I think sometimes creators are hesitant and like they still think that that fun, like uh, monetizing is a way of selling out. And then, like, for example, you have like over 4,000 channels and a kingdom earning money from fan funding and we have new fan funding options. So don't be afraid to jump in on that because as the money comes in from it, it starts to transition into, hey, this is like something I can be serious about. It's motivational. And then as you join higher levels of, of the YouTube partner program and you can start to support yourself. And again, like I, I mentioned at the beginning, I was making as much money as I made being editorial director of a tech network my first year on YouTube. And some people make more, some people make less, like there's always extremes, but when you, when you can feel like fulfilled uh, at, at something that's your passion, um, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'm just looking at the numbers here again and it's startling to me because I hadn't realized this, but like $1.4 billion in the UK's GDP from, uh, from YouTube's contributions alone. And that's, that's so many mortgage payments, so many braces, so many vacations, 
so many like new, like, like just things that will help you live a better life. And so I would just tell people to like, think of their dreams, create practical ways of getting there. And then, you know, don't let anybody slow you down. Very wise words. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. You must be one of the most busiest people in YouTube at the moment. Um, but if somebody wants to contact YouTube or, or you, how would they, you recommend they get in touch? I'm at YouTube Liaison on Twitter and at YouTube Liaison on YouTube. And you can find me in both those places. And I love talking to creators. It's my absolute favorite thing. So please don't hesitate. Excellent. And will you be at VidCon? I will absolutely be at VidCon. I'm doing a panel with Todd Beaupre, who runs uh, growth and discovery at YouTube. And we're going to talk about the algorithm in a multi-format, multi-language world. Excellent. I'm excited to listen to that. Thank you so much for your time today, Rene. Thank you. So that was the latest episode in the Business of Creators podcast. We've got some amazing guests coming up. So please hit subscribe to join the conversation. And don't hesitate to send me a DM on Twitter or LinkedIn with your feedback about the show.